Well, good morning and, and thank you. It's, it's interesting that, because I give Brandon a hard time on a daily basis, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When I'm with him, I give him a hard time. But it's interesting that wherever I am, when they know Brandon, everybody gives Brandon a hard time. <laughs> I feel comforted in that, that it's not just, that it's not just me. So again, uh, good morning and, and thank you for this, this opportunity. I bring you greetings from Household of Faith Presbyterian Church in, in Eastlake, where Larry Cockrell is the pastor there, and then equally from, from Birmingham Theological Seminary. <clears throat> and for my wife, Yvonne, and our grandson, Connor, who now is really, he's part of us. He travels with us wherever we, wherever we go, trying to get rid of him, but he, he, just, won't, he just won't go. <laughs> and so we're, we're about the end of the year. One more day, or actually two more days because of Monday. And we just last week, we celebrated Christmas and, you know, some of the songs that, that you sang. And if we just stop for a, for a moment and just really think about uh, what just transpired last Tuesday. Now, I spent 25 plus years in retail management, living in a lot of different places, supervising, when I moved here, supervising multiple stores in a couple of states. So I know what Christmas means to retail. It's money. And, but do we really now as believers, how much do we participate in that? But do we understand how magnificent, how wonderful the impact of what this birth meant to us? If we stop and think that God stepped out of eternity into time, that Jesus, who we know was, was with God in the beginning and, and is God, was born of a virgin, a baby, and he had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. Think about that. God had to have his diaper changed. Think about that. How we can't, Can we wrap our heads around, around what that means? That he had to be nurtured. You know, the infinite became incarnate. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, it's just, it's, how do we understand that? but we know that it's real and the impact. And so why did, did God do that? That he was demonstrating his love that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us, those whom the Father called. Now we know in the culture that we live in, the world that we live in, and not just in America, throughout the, throughout the world, it's pretty much the same that sin really doesn't exist. Anything and everything is, is okay. It's acceptable. As long as it provides money, if it provides pleasure, and seemingly what may, we may perceive as, as happiness. Are we really aware of the state of our human condition? That we need salvation. The need that we have for a deliverer and that we are to celebrate not just on Christmas, but every day that Christ was born to save. Now, if you will, turn in your Bibles, your handheld devices, whatever you may use now, to Psalm 32. <clears throat> Psalm 32. <clears throat> And King David says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in a way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or, or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many, of the, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Heavenly Father, how much you have blessed us and you have, you have graced us, Lord God. You've graced us with the eternal gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. So let us, Lord God, truly rejoice in our hearts and know what you have done to us, for us, and with us, Lord God. Use us, Lord God, mightily, again, to present the message of the gospel to all that you've given us contact with, Lord God. I pray today, Lord God, that again, these words these, that you've given me, Lord God, would be a sweet, sweet fragrance in your nostrils, Lord God, and a blessing to your people. Bless our time together this morning, Lord God, that you would receive the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and give great thanks. Amen. You know, as we look at this, at this psalm of, of David, and it's, we'll speak today from our, the Lord, our salvation, our deliverer. Now, it's a psalm of David. It's a companion psalm to Psalm 51. Now, we're all familiar with, with Psalm 51, where David is, is crying out, he's repenting for the sin with Bathsheba and the murder of, of Uriah in 2 Samuel 11. So this is a psalm of, of penitence, of contrition, of, <clears throat> of repentance, and truly godly sorrow. A psalm seeking God's forgiveness, seeking his, his mercy, and, and desiring a, a clean heart to be washed clean from the sin and renewing that steadfast spirit of God and the restoration of of joy and peace. Now this psalm, and you really have to understand, you've got to be able to understand Psalm 51. You've got to know what happened in 2 Samuel 11 and 2 Samuel 12. And this is again, I believe this would be after Psalm 51. But again, he's, he's crying out to God to, to forgive him, but also a psalm of, of rejoicing for the thanksgiving that God is giving in his, in his forgiveness. So again, it's a psalm of thanksgiving for God's graciousness, for his mercy, for his loving kindness that he has for us as repentant sinners. And also, if you're familiar with, with Jewish poetry, we see, we see parallelism. When we, when we are talking, when we are teaching, when we're trying to get information across to someone, we'll say it, and then we'll say it again. We may try different words. If that doesn't, 
If that doesn't make sense, we'll give a positive side to it, we'll give a negative side to it, to try to reinforce what we are saying. And that's the theme that we see in, in Jewish poetry is, is repetition. We learn by repetition. And hopefully in that repetition, we are, we are growing and learning from our, from our mistakes. So here in, in these first couple of verses, David is thanking God for forgiving his sin and also for the forgiveness of sins. And he says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. When we look at Psalm 1, it says, how blessed is the man who does not walk with the ungodly, who does not stand, who does not sit with sinners and scoffers. How blessed. Blessed is that, that favor from God and having that relationship with God. We are blessed in the fact that God has brought us and adopted us as sons and daughters. That is a great, great blessing that we can easily miss. So David is saying here, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Again, how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. How blessed. Do we understand here what he's talking about when he talks about sin, transgression, iniquity? Well, what was David's sin? Well, David fell short of the mark that God had required of him, a man after God's own heart. What was his transgression? Well, transgression is, is rebellion. When I don't do what I know I'm supposed to do. And what was his rebellion? Well, in 2 Samuel 11, it says that in those days, kings did what? They went out to war. Now, I know we're Presbyterian and we're quiet and we're not reserved. If I was in a Baptist church, they would have said, in those days, kings go out to war. Okay, so we can, we can, we can communicate, okay? Look at that, you laughed. Uh-oh. <laughs> so in those days, kings went out to war. It was spring. He should have been with his men, but what did he do? He was laying around on his couch and then happened to kind of get up and, hmm, what is that over there? And then the iniquity. What is iniquity? Iniquity. Sin, you know, Paul says in, the, uh, in, in Galatians when he's talking about the works of the flesh, lascivious. Iniquity is sin most wicked, sin most evil, that you know like you know like you know that you're not supposed to do this, but you do it anyway. So what was his iniquity? Well, the adultery with Bathsheba, taking another man's wife, but also the killing of her husband to cover up his sin, the transgression. And we say cover, cover is not just putting a blanket over it. Cover is forgiving. It's forgiving the sin. So when we come to God with that broken and contrite heart, he will forgive us. God knows the condition. Here we see again that David is crying out to God to forgive him of his sin, to forgive him of his transgression, his iniquity. Paul tells us in Romans 4, 7, 8, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account, that he will not impute, he will not take into account the previous sins, the iniquity. And he says that we're not to have a a spirit 
of deceit. Now the spirit, that would be our innermost being, the housing of our emotions, of our will, of our conscience, and we're not to be deceitful. We can't hide anything from God. And in Psalm 139, it says that he knows, and again, another Psalm of David, he knows our every thought before we think and every word before it comes from our mouths. There's no place that we can go that we're not in the presence of God. So there's there can't be any deceit, any hypocrisy, any, any trickery, but we are to be trustworthy and, and reliable before our Lord. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. In verse 3, it says, when I kept silent about my, my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. In verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Again, David is thinking back on his experience. What was it like for him in that year or two that transpired before Nathan came to him to actually confront him on his, on his sin? What was happening in, inside of him? What does sin do to us? It can affect us physically. It affects us spiritually, emotionally. That groaning, literally that means the roar of a lion. So that groaning inside of us when we are, when we are convicted of of sin, when our eyes are finally opened up. And I can remember distinctly, I was saved in 1997, so that wasn't that, that long ago. <clears throat> I grew up Catholic and I was nothing for a long time, a long time. And then God, in his graciousness, in his mercy, uh, saved me. <clears throat> and then immediately brought me to Birmingham Theological Seminary for, for training because I knew nothing. I knew less than, than nothing. But in that, when your eyes are first open to, to your sin, and, and then you see within yourself, what have I done? What have I been doing? And so that groaning, that, that roaring, that, that weight that is, that is upon you, what was that like? And when we're reading in Scripture, particularly in, in Hebrew poetry, we need to get that, that word picture in our mind. We need to put ourselves in the, in the place, in, in, the, in the Psalms and in Hebrew poetry, it's, there's great passion. Uh, you put yourself in the place. What was the writer going through? What was this like for David? What was it like when your eyes were first opened to see sin? What was that like? What was David going through here when he realized what he did to God? You know, he says in Psalm 51, against thee and thee only have I sinned. We sin first and greatly against God. Yes, of course, we sin. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He had him murdered. He sinned against his people because, again, he was God's chosen leader. So what was he going through in this, in this anguish, in this, in this pain? You know, what was that like for him? And it says about God's heavy hand. What is that like to have that, that pressure of sin, that weight, that guilt that is upon you. What was he, what was he going through? And I was, I was thinking about this, and <clears throat> you can't tell now, but in days past, I was a weightlifter. 
uh, like my brother Brandon. And you know, if you've ever done a bench press, and you should never do it by yourself. You're going along fine, and all of a sudden your arms say, I'm not doing this anymore. And then that weight comes down on your chest, and you're looking around, is there anybody here to help me? So that pressure, that, that, heavy, that heavy handedness, that, that devastating, that punishment. And then it says about his vitality as the fever of heat drained in the summer. <clears throat> now, I was born in Louisiana in New Orleans, never really lived there. My dad was in the Air Force, and my grandfather had a farm back on the bayou, out just about 15, 20 minutes behind LSU campus. So if you've been to Florida, like the game last night, the humidity was what, 87%. Have you ever been in that kind of humidity and on the bayou in Louisiana, when it's just the humidity, you can almost see it, it's so heavy. And you can feel it, it just literally drains you, it just sucks life out of you. And in that, and in that you just can't get enough water. You're just tired, you're just wet all the time. You don't want to do anything. And that example that it says here, it says that my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. So if you've been in a situation, understand what that what that feels like. And people say, well, dry heat is better than, than humidity or wet heat. I've lived in San Antonio, Texas and Phoenix. And so I know that dry heat, you know, I, when I go visit San Antonio after, after being here for a while, then you walk outside and you, you can't breathe. The dryness just sucks life out of you. And so that's how, you know, that feeling that he had that, and again, that picture of just completely drained. You feel useless. You have no strength. You're, the breath is literally sucked out of your, out of your body. And that's what he's, what he's saying here as far as this, this feeling, this weight of sin that is, that is upon him. And then David says, Salah. You know, a little musical interlude. Like James Brown says, give the drummer son. And so we just, we just kind of quiet down a bit and just kind of meditate, just kind of think on what was, being, what was being said here. Just meditate and think on it. In fact, in the top of here, when, in the pericope of the title before, it says that this is a, a mascal, a mascal type of, of psalm is one of meditation, one of contemplation. It's, it's didactical, which means it's, it's teaching, but we are to, to really stop and think and, and savor, listen and read carefully and feel what the, what the author is, is going through. And he says in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Now, we know that David did cry out to God in, in Psalm 51. And he says again, against you and you only have I sinned. But that wasn't immediate. You know, we know what happened in, in, in 2 Samuel 11. Then we go to 2 Samuel 12, and, and Nathan confronts David with the parable of the little ewe lamb, the rich man and the poor man. And what was David's response when, when Nathan gave him this, this story of the rich man taking the little ewe lamb, who the man treated like his child. It says like his daughter. He, this lamb was part of the family. And he took it and he, he cooked it for a, a visitor. And David said, this man must pay restitution, which means fourfold, but also he must be killed. And then Nathan says, it was you. 
So when that hit him, again, like the weight of the sin, and then David again is speaking out against his iniquity. I did not hide. I acknowledge, and we see in Psalm 51 that David cried out to the Lord about his sin. Forgive me. Create in me a, a clean heart. Wash me clean with, with hyssop. He's crying out. Do we cry out to God today in our, in our sin? My iniquity I did not hide. He confessed what he did. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You know of my rebellion when I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And you forgave the guilt of my sin where I fell short of the expectations that you had for me, Lord. You forgave the guilt of my sin. And again, as I was reading over this, I was thinking, <clears throat> you know, in Romans 7, Paul talks about the battle that he's having. I'm doing the things I don't want to do. I know I shouldn't do it. But that sin in me is just driving me to do these things. And unfortunately, when it was back in the 1500s, when the Asher family and EDN, they put in chapters and verses in the Bible. Now, that was probably a big mistake to put chapters and verses because we, the chapters maybe, but the verses, well, even the chapters, because we, we break things up. We break the thoughts up. So we look in Romans 7 and we see Paul talking about the battle he has with sin, and then we stop it. And now we come to Romans 8, 1. Now, therefore, now we know therefore, what is therefore, therefore, to go back and see what therefore is therefore. So we have to go back to read 7 to make sense out of Romans 8, 1. When he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, we use it out of context. It doesn't mean that I can't tell you anything wrong, or you can't condemn me because I'm in Christ Jesus. Well, that's not what that's saying. And we see here, he says, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Well, we feel guilty, even though we know God has forgiven me. But how can God forgive me when I haven't forgiven myself? I'm still beating myself up. I'm still condemning myself for my, for my sin. And, he, and David is telling us here that God forgives the guilt of our sin. Again, when we come to him with a truly repentant, broken, and contrite heart. His loving kindness endures forever. His grace, his mercy is renewed every morning, every day. And again, he says, Salah, stop and think about how great this salvation is that we have in Christ, that we have a great deliverer, that we don't have to walk around in our sin, in despair, that we have a great hope. You know, Paul says in Thessalonians, we aren't to grieve as those that have no hope. You know, when when Pastor Chris was just talking, we had a, a great loss a couple of months ago within our family. One of our daughters suddenly uh, and totally unexpectedly passed. And that was a, a severe, a great, great loss uh, that we went through. So this was our uh, first Christmas without, without Karina. And that was, and again, but the Lord is, is so wonderful. He is so gracious and merciful. And I mean, the love that we have experience from so many people you know the words from Chris the words you know Brandon was has been a great great uh, supporter and 
just the love that so many people have have given to our family is just the words just don't you know when people come to you and you you think how do you say thank you how do is thank you really deep enough for the gratitude for the heartfelt love that that we have been shown and so we sent out cards and a lot of thank yous but thank you just didn't seem sufficient for the love that was that was shown to us so again we just stop and we and we pause and we we give great thanks to our Lord because we know that everything here is just is just temporary. This is not our this is not our home. We have a greater home with with Christ Jesus. And then verses six and seven. Again, he says, therefore, okay, because you have forgiven me of my sins, my transgressions, my iniquity, let everyone who is godly pray to you. In a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Now again, David here now again is, is giving praises for God's protective care. You know, it's like an eagle protects his nest. You know, the anthropomorphisms where we give God quality so we can understand that like the mother hen with the brood with the chicks up under her wings God is there to to protect us and so therefore because of God's forgiveness the godly the saints the blessed of God those who are in a personal relationship with God it's not about religion it's about having a personal relationship with a living savior for those of us who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Think about that. In his marvelous light. The saints, the people of God's own possession. Now we all know friends, family, <clears throat> people that are not saved. Why did God choose you? We can't give an answer to that. Except for his loving kindness and his mercy because we do not deserve this precious gift from our Lord. And it says that <clears throat> in a time when you may be found. Now, God isn't lost. We are lost. Now, Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You know, we sometimes <clears throat> think that we can wait until the last second to, to do something. And I said, I was saved in 1997. I was 46 years old. And I'm very cautious when I give my, my testimony. <clears throat> and I've heard young people say, well, I'll just wait till I'm old. Well, no, we don't wait. And it wasn't like, you know, I remember really in, in 1979, I received the external call. You're not doing what I purposed you to do. But I had other plans. I wanted to rise up in the in the retail world, I wanted all this stuff. But I know throughout those 18 years of my running, and God was gracious in those 18 years of my running, and I would still periodically, that wee small inner voice saying that, you're not doing what I purposed you to do. And I knew it. And in 1997, in his great love, in his great compassion, the internal call came that I could not, the irresistible grace that I could not refuse. And my life changed dramatically at that point. 
But we have to listen. We have to listen to what God is saying. Listen to his call. At any point in time, he could have taken me out. I used to do a lot of driving in my, in my previous life. I had stores all over the, in two states here, previously coming here. Again, I had stores that would be hundreds of miles apart. So I spent a lot of time on the road. And sometimes I'd pull into my driveway, and I didn't tell Yvonne this till later after I'd left AutoZone, that I'd pull in the driveway sometimes, not even know how I got there. And I literally would sleep coming from Mississippi to all the way back to Birmingham. That was God that preserved me, that, that kept me. And even, again, in the, the pre-save days, knowing what he had in store for me. But when God calls, we need to listen. We need to heed. So it says again, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We don't wait till the last minute. Even when we're, if we're doing something wrong, even as, as believers, <clears throat> we need to cry out to God immediately. And we call out to him in good times and bad times. We need to call out to him when times when we are experiencing joy and happiness, but also in times of, of great sadness and, and despair. We could not have made it through these last few months if we had not called on God. And not just because of a, a loss in our family, but in every day, in our everyday life. I mean, every day we're reading about things that are happening to, to people, totally unexpected. Did they have time to, to cry out? And it says like a flood of great waters. Now, again, you've got to picture that. Now, over the past few years, we've experienced, you know, I used to live in Houston, great floods in, in Houston and in, 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 in New Orleans and Louisiana. We've seen all these pictures of, of tsunamis and hurricanes. We experienced, you know, hurricanes at the coast and tornadoes. We've experienced this, this horrible weather. What it would be like to be swept away in floods of, of great waters. And it says that, again, surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. Imagine if you're trying to reach out to someone to, to save you and you can't reach that person and you get swept, swept away. And it says, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And again, you know, get that picture. You know, in Psalm 18, it says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The Lord is our ever-present help in time of trouble. He is our rock, our fortress, our buttress. He is our shield, our buckler, our protector at all times. So we call upon him no matter what. We start our day in prayer and praising our Lord. Throughout the day, we have opportunities to praise and give glory to our Lord. We end our night, again, praising and glorifying God. Not just on, on Sunday morning, but every day is an opportunity to praise the Lord for what he has done, is doing, and will continue to, to do. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. What has God delivered you from? 
What has he protected you against? The songs, the sounds of deliverance that are there every day. And then again, he, David says, Salah, just stop and meditate. You know, in John 13, <clears throat> after Christ had washed the feet of the disciples and teaching them on, on servanthood, he poses the question, do you know what I have done to you? The NIV says, do you know what I have done for you? Do we understand? Do we realize? Do we take for granted what God has done to us? Do we really stop and think and meditate on the goodness, the graciousness, the love that God has for us? And then David says, <clears throat> I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Now here again, David is now, actually he's, he's submitting. He's acknowledging the need for God's instructions, the need to seek to be in the will of God. I will instruct you, teach you in the way that you should go. David now is in his restoration. He's now reaching out to others that I'm going to now just not keep this to myself, but I'm going to share in what God has done. I'm going to share in what God has, has taught me. He, is, he has grown from the knowledge of his sins, of his transgressions, his iniquities. He says, I will instruct, I will give insight, I will to act with prudence, I will seek through, devotionally and with understandings to do what? To teach. Now literally that word teach, yara, means to, to shoot straight, to throw. So how are we to teach? How are we to instruct? We are to shoot straight. We are to throw accurately. We are to give out God's word literally as he interpreted, as he planned and intended for it to be. Not my interpretation, not your interpretation. What was the intent of God's words? And again, it says, I will instruct you in the way. The way is how we are to walk. It is our conduct. It is how we are to live our life. And then the way that you should go. Again, Hebrew, that's just one word. And again, it's the pathways of life. It is your behavior, your character, the way that you should go. In Matthew 5, 48, Jesus poses to his disciples that you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, that's a huge challenge. We can't be perfect as God is. But when we translate that word, teleos, to be spiritually mature, to be morally blameless, that is the way that we should go so that we can be an example to others. Because everybody is watching you. Everybody knows who you are and what you are. You know, my, our grandchildren, <clears throat> and now particularly Connor. So I have to be conscious of what I do and what I say because he wants to do and everything. He's my little shadow. <laughs> He's with me all the time and wants to do everything that I do and go where I go. And so I have to watch and be mindful of things that I say and things that I do, because he's watching. 
And he's going to do as I do. He's going to say as I do. We get after each other pretty hard. We tease all the time. <clears throat> I didn't understand. You can tell me later what you said. <laughs> but again, we have, to, we have to give an example. One of our older grandsons, he's a, <clears throat> actually he's a deacon at our church now, and when he was about Connor's age, uh, Yvonne had sent us to the store. She was making some spaghetti, and <clears throat> we needed to get some, some French bread or Italian bread, so we were in Walmart, and, and Brandon was a little boy, and he said, um, well, he's our son, we adopted him, and so uh, he says, let's get some candy. And I said, no. I said, Nanny sent us to the store to get some bread. We're just going to get bread. Because she knows she doesn't like for us to go to the store because we get all kind of other stuff besides what, we, what we're supposed to get. And he said, no, come on, let's get some candy. I said, okay, I'm going to get some candy, but I'm going to tell her you made me do it. And he said, you can't do that. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, because you're a Christian. And I said, now you remember that. <laughs> and I'm going to remind you as you get older <laughs> what you what you told me. So again, the way that we should go. And then he's then, and actually when it says here, we'll counsel you with my eye upon you. Now here's the my in, in your in most of your Bibles that my the M should be capitalized, saying that it's it's God saying these these words. You know, Psalm 33 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and those who hope for his loving kindness. Again, the Lord's grace, his mercy, his protection, his care, his watchfulness, his attention is on those who are godly, the ones who are blessed. Our safety is in the hands of the Lord. And then again, he gives this example. He says, do not be as the horse or as a mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Anybody ever ridden a horse bareback without a, a bridle or a bit? That horse goes where he wants to go. You can hang on to that mane, but you really can't get him going where he wants to go. And my grandfather on his farm, he had horses, and we used to go out there in the field and ride the horses. Bareback is rough. Not just on this part, but on another part of your body also. <laughs> it is rough. But when you put that bit and that bridle, in that horse, you can direct him. You can make him go where you want to go. So what is he saying here? Don't be hard-headed. Don't be stubborn. And a mule. My grandfather had a mule also. The mule, he never had any mechanical equipment. He had the plow you put over your, your shoulder, and he had a mule that, that did the furrow. And that mule only listened to Papa. He wouldn't listen to anybody else. And he would do what he said, but anybody else, you can scratch it. So again, He's telling us, don't be hard-headed. Don't be, don't be stubborn, because these animals have to be broken. And you humble them with that bit and that bridle. We, too, must be broken. And David says in Psalm 51, what? That we have to have that, that broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, if we are to be used of God. And then in verse 10 and verse 11, <clears throat> many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, the pain, the suffering. And we know that we're still going to go through trials and tribulations. We're going to go through, 
through things, but again, we have a great hope. You know, Paul in Romans 2.9 says, there will be tribulations and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also for the Greek. There will be a great judgment day and God will judge those. He will punish those who are not of his, of his flock. And then we looked at the second part and it says, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. So we know that even in those points of grief, even in those point times when things are not going as we think they should go, that God is still there. He has not, he has not left us. Even in his silence, we know that God is still there. Proverbs 16.20 says, He who gives attention to the word will find good and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. And then verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. So now David is exhorting us to praise the Lord. He says, be glad. We are to rejoice. We are to be joyful in the Lord. Now, this is not a message of health, wealth, and prosperity by any means. And Brandon and I have this discussion regularly about that particular belief system. We spent the month of November, Ivan and I, in Uganda. We had the blessed opportunity. We were teaching at African Reformation Theological Seminary and preaching there. And if you know anything, I mean, health, wealth, and prosperity is bad enough in America. When you get outside of America, and I don't care what country or what nation you are in, the poorest of the poorest of the poor people throughout this world are being devastated by this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. But here it's not that, but it's a, we're, te we're talking about rejoicing in the Lord, not in stuff, not in materialism. Gladness in the Lord is our salvation. Gladness in the Lord is our deliverer. Paul, again, even in jail, in prison, a Roman prison, told him to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice because our salvation, our deliverer, is assured, is guaranteed. Again, our eternal life in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why do we rejoice? Because we are the righteous. Why do we rejoice? Because we are justified in the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing that we can do, nothing that we can earn on our own. Again, we are to shout. We are to sing joyfully in exaltation. We are to praise the Lord in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We are to give shouts of encouragement, of exhortation and instruction. Who can do this? Well, again, only those who are upright in heart. Upright. Those who are right in the eyes of God. Those who are morally blameless. Those who are spiritually mature. And in closing, in Psalm 6410, the psalmist says, The righteous man will be glad in the Lord and will take refuge in him and the upright in heart will glory. The Lord, our salvation, our deliverer. Thank you.